Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be talking to you about urinary incontinence. And you can find written notes on this topic at zerotofinals.com slash incontinence or in the gynecology section of the Zero to Finals Obstetrics and Gynae book. So let's get straight into it. Urinary incontinence refers to the loss of control of urination. And there are two types of urinary incontinence urge incontinence and stress incontinence. Establishing the type of incontinence is essential as this will determine the management. Let's start by talking about urge incontinence. Urge incontinence is caused by overactivity of the detrusor muscle of the bladder. Urge incontinence is also known as overactive bladder. The typical description is of suddenly feeling the urge to pass urine having to rush to the bathroom and not arriving in time before the urination occurs. Women with urge incontinence are very conscious about always having access to a toilet and may avoid activities or places where they may not have easy access. This can have a significant impact on their quality of life and stop them doing work and leisure activities. Next let's talk about stress incontinence. The pelvic floor consists of a sling of muscles that support the contents of the pelvis. There are three canals through the center of the female pelvic floor. And this is the urethral, the vaginal and the rectal canals. When the muscles of the pelvic floor are weak, the canals can become lax and the organs are poorly supported within the pelvis. Stress incontinence is due to weakness of the pelvic floor and the sphincter muscles. This allows urine to leak at times of increased pressure on the bladder. The typical description of stress incontinence is leakage of urine when laughing, coughing or surprised. Next let's talk about mixed incontinence. Mixed incontinence refers to a combination of urge incontinence and stress incontinence. It's crucial to identify which of the two is having the more significant impact and then address this first. Let's talk about overflow incontinence. Overflow incontinence can occur when there is chronic urinary retention due to obstruction to the outflow of urine. What happens is the chronic retention of urine results in an overflow of that urine past the obstruction and then incontinence occurs without the urge for the person to pass urine. Overflow incontinence can be the result of anticholinergic medications fibroids, pelvic tumours and neurological conditions such as multiple sclerosis, diabetic neuropathy and spinal cord injuries. Overflow incontinence is actually more common in men and is quite rare in women. Women with suspected overflow incontinence should be referred for urodynamic testing and specialist management. Let's talk about the risk factors for urinary incontinence and these are increasing age, postmenopausal status, increased BMI, previous pregnancies and vaginal deliveries, pelvic organ prolapse, previous pelvic organ surgery, neurological conditions such as multiple sclerosis, and cognitive impairment and dementia. So how do we assess a woman with urinary incontinence? A medical history should be used to distinguish between the two types of incontinence. Try to differentiate between urinary leakage with coughing or sneezing, which is stress incontinence, and incontinence due to a sudden urge to pass urine with a loss of control on the way to the toilet, 
which is urging continence. Assess for any modifiable lifestyle factors that may be contributing to symptoms, such as their caffeine consumption, their alcohol consumption, the medications that they're on and their body mass index. Also assess the severity of their symptoms by asking about the frequency of urination, the frequency of incontinence, nighttime urination and the use of pads and having to change clothes. Examination should be used to assess the pelvic tone and to examine for a pelvic organ prolapse, any atrophic vaginitis, urethral diverticulum and any pelvic masses. During the examination, ask the patient to cough and watch for leakage of urine from the urethra. The strength of the pelvic muscle contractions can be assessed during a bimanual examination by asking the woman to squeeze against the examining fingers. And this can be graded using the modified Oxford grading system, where grade 0 is no contraction of the pelvic muscles, grade 1 is faint contraction, grade 2 is weak contraction, grade 3 is moderate contraction with some resistance to pulling the fingers away, grade 4 is good contraction with resistance, and grade 5 is strong contraction with a firm squeeze and drawing inwards of the examining fingers. Next let's talk about investigations. A bladder diary is very useful and should be completed and this involves tracking the fluid intake and episodes of urination and incontinence over at least three days and there should be a mix of work and leisure days covered in the bladder diary. Urine dipstick testing should be performed to assess for infection, microscopic hematuria and other pathologies. Post-void residual bladder volume should be measured using a bladder scanner in order to assess for incomplete emptying of the bladder. And full urodynamic testing can be used to investigate patients who have urge incontinence that's not responding to medical treatments, where there are difficulties in urinating, where there's urinary retention, where there's previous surgery, or there's an unclear diagnosis. Urodynamic testing is not always required where the diagnosis is possible based on the history and the examination. So let's talk in more detail about the urodynamic tests. Urodynamic testing is a way of objectively assessing the presence and severity of urinary symptoms. Patients need to stop taking any anticholinergic and bladder-related medications around five days before going in for the tests. The procedure involves inserting a thin catheter into the bladder and another catheter into the rectum. And these two catheters measure the pressure in the bladder and the rectum for comparison. The bladder is filled with liquid and various outcome measures are taken. Systometry measures the detrusor muscle contraction and pressure. Uroflowmetry measures the flow rate of urine. Leak point pressure is the point at which the bladder pressure results in leakage of urine. The patient is asked to cough, move or jump when the bladder is filled to various capacities and this assesses for stress incontinence. The post-void residual bladder volume tests for incomplete emptying of the bladder and video urodynamic testing involves filling the bladder with contrast and taking x-ray images of the bladder as it's emptied. 
Usually this is only performed where necessary and not part of routine urodynamic testing. Next let's talk about management. The information here is adapted from the NICE guidelines from 2019 on urinary incontinence, but always check the local and national guidelines before treating patients. The first step is to distinguish between urge and stress incontinence as this dictates the management. Patients are usually managed by primary care by their GPs initially and referred to a specialist MDT for further management where there are concerning features or an inadequate response to the first line treatment. First let's talk about the management of stress incontinence. Management of stress incontinence involves avoiding caffeine, diuretics and overfilling the bladder, avoiding excessive or restricted fluid intake, weight loss if this is appropriate, supervised pelvic floor exercises for at least three months before considering surgery, surgery and finally duloxetine is an SNRI antidepressant which can be used second line where surgery is less preferred. Pelvic floor exercises are used to strengthen the muscles of the pelvic floor. The objective is to increase the tone and improve the support for the bladder and the bowel. Pelvic floor exercises should be supervised by an appropriate professional, such as a specialist nurse or a physiotherapist, to ensure that the pelvic floor exercises are being done correctly. Women should aim for at least 8 contractions 3 times daily. The surgical options to treat stress incontinence include something called a tension-free vaginal tape or TVT procedure which involves a mesh sling which is looped under the urethra and up behind the pubic symphysis to the abdominal wall. By looping the mesh sling under the urethra it supports the urethra and reduces the stress incontinence. Autologous sling procedures work similarly to the tension-free tape procedures, but instead of using a mesh sling, a strip of fascia is taken from the patient's abdominal wall and used rather than the tape. Colpo suspension involves stitches that connect the anterior vaginal wall and the pubic symphysis around the urethra, which pulls the vaginal wall forward and adds support to the urethra. And finally, intramural Urethral bulking involves injections around the urethra to reduce the diameter and add support. Where the stress incontinence is caused by a neurological disorder or the first line surgical methods have failed, specialist centres may offer an operation to create an artificial urinary sphincter and this involves a pump inserted into the labia that inflates and deflates a cuff around the urethra which allows women to have complete manual control over their urinary continence. Finally, let's talk about the management of urge incontinence. Management of urge incontinence and overactive bladder involves bladder retraining, which is gradually increasing the time between voiding, and this is used for at least six weeks first line. Anticholinergic medications, for example, oxybutynin, tolteridine and solifenacin. Mirabegron is an alternative to anticholinergic medications. And finally, there's invasive procedures where medical treatments fail. Anticholinergic medications need to be used carefully as they have anticholinergic side effects. And these include dry mouth, dry eyes, 
urinary retention, constipation, and postural hypotension. Importantly, they can also lead to a cognitive decline, memory problems, and worsening of dementia, which can be very problematic for older, more frail patients. Mirabegron is used as an alternative medical treatment for urgent continence and it has less anticholinergic effects. However, it's worth noting that Mirabegron is contraindicated in uncontrolled hypertension. The patient's blood pressure needs to be monitored regularly during treatment. Mirabegron works as a beta-3 agonist, stimulating the sympathetic nervous system, leading to a rise in blood pressure. And this can lead to hypertensive crisis and an increased risk of a TIA or a stroke. Finally, let's talk about the invasive options for an overactive bladder. And this is used where other methods have failed, such as retraining and the medical management. And these invasive options include a botulin toxin type A or a Botox injection into the bladder wall percutaneous sacral nerve stimulation which involves implanting a device into the back that stimulates the sacral nerves. Augmentation cystoplasty involves using bowel tissue to enlarge the bladder and urinary diversion involves redirecting urinary flow into a urostomy on the abdomen so completely bypassing the urethra. So thanks for listening to this episode on urinary incontinence. As always, a big thank you to Harry Watchman for perfectly editing the podcast and I hope you join us for the next episode where we'll talk about atrophic vaginitis.